and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, folks, we're back with another episode of The Remnant Call. I am Brother Frank and glad to be here with you tonight. Thank you, everyone, who joined in last week for The Violence of Grace. I know that was a little bit different of a topic, but I feel it was an issue that we needed to address in this day and hour when there's so much struggle out there and when we begin to understand grace from God's perspective and not from this uh, so-called perspective of all the modern-day churches of this cheap grace. That's a, it's this fluffy grace that's very, you know, it doesn't cost anything grace. And, and when we understand it from God's perspective, I'll tell you, folks, it's amazing because it's powerful. And I'll tell you what, grace, it just, it goes to war as we learned with sin. It is the arch enemy. And if you didn't hear last week's program, I just, please, folks, go over there and check it out in our archives, theremnantcall.com or our Facebook page and or on YouTube and listen to it. And, uh, folks, I believe it will encourage you and help you in understanding sometimes why we struggle within so much. And anyways, besides that, I'll tell It's been another interesting uh, week. I tell you, we are one week closer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Savior of all mankind, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm sick and tired of this world, but I understand that it will get worse before it gets better. And knowing that, that means we as believers, it's time to get ready. The Remnant Call is a program about God's remnant believers from all churches that want to come out and into that deeper walk with Jesus. Folks, I'm, I'm not against church. I, I love churches. I, it's great. You can, you, we weren't designed to fellowship alone. We were designed to fellowship with one another. And I remember this story. I can't remember who exactly it was, it was Spurgeon or someone else. Anyways, it goes like this. He went over to a man's house. And the man was saying, you know what? I don't need to go to church. I'll just have church here at my house. Everything will be fine. You know, I, I don't need church. And, and without saying a word, he simply went over to the fireplace, and he grabbed a hot coal with the tongs. And he pulled it out, and he stuck it on the hearth, and they both sat there and watched it go out. Now, folks, without a word, he left that man's house, and they understood what he was trying to say. God designed us to be together with one another, to have one another's backs, because this war that's coming, that's here already. I was just talking to a good friend of mine who is uh, trying to start a, a church, and, and, and I'll tell you, he said he was suffering 
such spiritual attacks, and, and, and I can understand why, because when you want to go forward with God, the devil puts a target on your back, and he wants to come after you. And folks, another friend of mine was telling me that he was, you know, his life was down in the toilet, and I said, well, you know, you're, you've been starting a Bible study. You're trying to share the truth, and, you know, if you just want to stop praying and stop doing your Bible studies, things will probably get a lot easier for you. Committed to Jesus, you're in this thing. And we will get, there will be some tough times, and there will be some good times. And I'll tell you what, those who have learned that the suffering is a part of it, learn how to have joy even when they're in the bad situations. Read the Fox's Book of the Martyrs. They were clapping at the stake as they were being burned for the good name of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if they throw you in the fiery furnace. If God is on your side, you're going to be okay. And because this life is temporal, and if you're killed, then that's all right. Because they can't destroy the soul. Don't fear those who can kill the flesh, but fear him who can destroy the soul in hellfire. And so God's desire, though, is to keep us and preserve us to the very end. And folks, we got a battle and God is going to get us through that. You know, tonight's episode, the fires of revival. Who doesn't want revival? Who doesn't need revival? This is the hour when we need revival. And we're going to dig into that because I believe God is in the business of revival. And why do, you, why do I say that? Do I, because I've traveled around the world. I've been missionary. I've been in Africa on the mountains. I've seen what God can do to a people that rely wholly on him for everything. It's amazing up in the mountains of Africa where they have nothing because to them, God is absolutely everything. And if he doesn't come through, well, they're not going to make it. So they have to have faith. But in America, we've got everything. So we only call on God when we're in a pinch. And most often, we just call on him for a moment because we find another route out so we can get out of it. So our trial will end quickly. But for those of you who are believers and you want the revival, we're going to talk about it tonight. And I hope by the end of this program, you have the tools that you need for revival. Because God wants you to have revival. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior of the world, we ask that you would bless this program, that we would not only understand and desire revival, but we would believe that you can give revival and you will stay by your word for those who will diligently seek you. You will reward them. Because, Lord, our desire is not for riches and wealth and all that great stuff. Our desire is to know you personally. Because if we have a deep relationship with you, it doesn't matter what happens to the flesh. Because we know we are with our Savior. Father, bless my lips to reflect your words. Forgive me of my sins, Lord, and my failures where I have sinned against you, God. I repent of that. And ask that you would cleanse me in the name of Jesus and that the blood of Jesus be washed over my life and cover me, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The fires of revival. While at Utica, New York, you might have heard of it before, Charles Finney had visited a factory a few miles distant. 
As I went through, Finney said, I observed there was a good deal of agitation among those who were busy at their looms and their mules and other implements of work. On passing through one of the apartments where a great number of young women were attending to their weaving, I observed a couple of them eyeing me and speaking very earnestly to each other, and I could see that they were a great deal agitated. Although they both laughed, I went slowly toward them. They saw me coming and were evidently much excited. One of them was trying to mend a broken thread, and I observed that her hands trembled so that she could not mend it. I approached slowly, Finney said, looking on each side of the machinery as I passed, but observed that this girl grew more and more agitated and could not proceed with her work. When I came within eight or ten feet of her, I looked solemnly at her. She observed it and was quite overcome and sank down and burst into tears. The impression caught almost like powder, and in a few moments, nearly all in the room were in tears. This feeling spread through the factory. The owner of the establishment was present, and seeing the state of things, he said to the superintendent, Stop the mill and let the people attend to religion, for it is more important that our souls should be saved than this factory to run. The gate was immediately shut down. The factory stopped. But where should we assemble, they said. The superintendent suggested that the mule room was large and the mules ran up. We could assemble there. We did so in a more powerful meeting I scarcely ever attended, Finney said. It went on with great power. The revival went through the mill with astonishing power, and in the course of a few days, nearly all in the mill were hopefully converted. The power of God through a person filled with the Spirit can change lives. It can change communities. In May of 2004, nearly 4,000 people came out to march against drugs in the small town of Manchester, Kentucky. The pastors repented before God and their communities for allowing the darkness to settle in. The drug dealers were put on notice, get saved or get busted, they said to them. They'd had enough. Over the next 12 months, they saw dramatic changes in their town. Drug arrests went way up. Drug dealers and users started to come to church and getting free from their addictions. And the story of Manchester was seen around the world. Manchester, Kentucky was transformed by the power of God. Give me 100 preachers, John Wesley said, who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. What can God do, folks, when people are filled with the Spirit? I mean, you heard what Wesley said. If he could find just 100 preachers who feared nothing but sin and desired nothing but God, they could change the world. My question is, what are we doing in our churches today? What are we doing in our lives? It seems so often like these revivals are so far away. It's like it's always happening somewhere else except where I am at. You know, it's interesting about the early church. They were persecuted, beaten, poor, few possessions, wanderers, outcasts, hated, tax collectors, prostitutes, brawlers, messed up, broken up, failures, jockeying for position, while deserting, denying, cursing disciples who in their weakness 
brokenness while in prayer, God filled with the Spirit of God and turned the world upside down for the kingdom of God. And I look around today, and I see so many churches and so many people, they are so defeated in their walk with God. And especially here in America, where we have so many earthly possessions and comforts, we don't even know how to worship God without these comforts being around us, because we've been taught that that's how we can worship God properly. Because if the music isn't right, if we don't like the preacher, if we don't like what the color of the carpet is in church or the pews, we're upset and frustrated. Frustrated, and we don't want to come to church because we're coming for man and not for God is about to change. The fires of revival are coming. In October of 1949, on the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland, the Free Church Presbytery of Lewis met in the town of Stornoway to consider the terrible drift away from the ordinances of the church, especially by the young people of the island, sounds like what we're in today. Churches were almost empty, and sin was running rampant, especially among the youth. Among the people who were especially concerned about the situation were two old sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. One was 84 and was blind, while the other was 82 and crippled with arthritis. They were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own church, for not a single young person attended public worship, so they made it a matter of special prayer to take before the Lord. On Tuesdays and Fridays, they would get down on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening and remain on their knees until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. One night, Peggy had a vision, and in the vision, she saw the church of her father's crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and a strange minister was standing in the pulpit. She told her sister that revival was coming. So they called the local minister, Mr. Mackay, and and this is what they said. You've tried your mission. You've tried your special evangelists, but have you really tried God? If you will gather together, they told Mr. Mackay, the elders, and you will meet in another cottage, and as you pray there, we will pray here. So they gathered the elders and continued in this way for some weeks until November, when one night, close to about 4 a.m. in the morning, a young man stood up in the midst and quoted from Psalm 24, and with deep conviction, he fell to his knees, and the Spirit of God rushed in, and revival broke out all over the Isle of Lewis. We also, as believers, are looking for revival just like in Lewis. And I remember listening to a story of some people who traveled over there in the early 2000s to find people who were still living, who had been a part of the revival. And I remember they found some people, and this one old man was telling stories that after the revival there in Lewis, that not one person got arrested in Barvis for 20 years after that revival. That is the power of God. Unfortunately, though, today, revival, the definition of revival has changed. Now, just stick with me here. Many think of revival in churches as a fancy preacher with a slick set of sermons to come in and preach for a week, and that's what we call revival, folks. Church, true revival is when the Spirit of God so grips the church that people's lives are changed, communities around them are changed, and God becomes the focus once again in the church. 
If you've ever studied revivals, look at the 1905 Welsh Revival. They said it was so powerful, it shut down the pubs because God was moving so powerfully among the people in the Welsh Revival. If you got your the Word of God with you tonight, um, I'd invite you just to turn with me to Acts chapter 1 because I want to start to dig into this a little bit deeper. Acts chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to look at verse 6. You'll remember the story well. This is the upper room experience, but I want to just dig into a few things here in verse 6. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, they beheld he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So here God was declaring to his disciples, if you heard what I just said, to wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. That when you receive it in the fullness that God intended, you will have the power to go into the strongest of strongholds of the enemy's kingdoms to share the everlasting gospel and to set the captives free. This is a clear statement that the Christian's power comes not from themselves, but it comes from God alone. You remember the story. They went, they met in the upper room. They prayed with, they were all there until they came in to one heart, one mind. They were were of unity. And I do believe they were fasting also while they're up there. Now, it doesn't say in the Bible that they were fasting. But the reason I think that they were fasting is because the scripture said there would be a day when the bridegroom was taken away, and then they shall fast. So they were praying, seeking God, and I believe they were probably fasting based upon Jesus' words that he said earlier in the scripture. And I don't like to speculate, but it seems like it fits together with what our Lord and Savior were saying there. And so they were seeking God with all their heart. And the Bible says that after they had been there, if you do the math, it was about 10 days that the promise of God fell in the power of the Holy Ghost And and the people were of one accord, and they were so filled with the Holy Spirit that Peter stood up and preached a sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. Now, that's what I call revival. Now, it's interesting if you look at the sermon that Peter had preached, folks. It was a blistering rebuke. I think sometimes we read through it a little too quickly, and we see it, and we think, oh, that's a great thing. Peter preached a sermon, and, and they, they were revived. But if you look at what Peter said, he says, You're the, you crucified the Lord. He tore them up. And the Bible says they were pricked with conviction so deeply. They said, what must we do? Because even when you hear a stern rebuke, when the Spirit of God is behind it, It's not a curse. It's not something you have to fear, but it brings about repentance. And they were so moved that 3,000 people got saved. And folks, we know 3,000, that's the covenant number, because at Sinai, 3,000 people were killed at the beginning of the first covenant. And now 3,000 people got saved. So we know this is a a covenant number of 3,000 people. God was establishing his church upon the new covenant. Hallelujah. Folks, I want to make it clear. God wants nothing less 
and has made every provision that you need to live in the fullness of his spirit and have revival in your life. I'm going to turn over to Matthew chapter 17, and I'm going to start in verse 14, and I, I want to go through a few scriptures here and just look at this, the fires of revival. Can we have revival, or is this just something that's a fairy tale? Or can we really see God move in a powerful way? Starting in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 17, this is what it says in verse 14. And they were come to the multitude, and excuse me, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falls into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to the disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generations, how, how, or generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you shall see, uh, say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible to you, howbeit this kind goeth out not, but by prayer and fasting. So here the disciples, they couldn't cast this devil out. And so often we look at this and you know, say, oh, well, that's because some of the devils don't go out with prayer and fasting. But folks, that's actually – that's not really what the scripture's saying. It's not that the devils won't go out with prayer and fasting. He says here, it says, because of your unbelief. See, the problem was their unbelief was what was keeping them from casting those devils out. And the prayer and fasting is to remove that kind of unbelief. It's not the devils. You've got to believe because if you had the faith as a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, remove. And I remember I've, I've seen the Israeli mustard seed, and I was just over in Africa, and I remember it was so powerful. We were up in the mountains, and we're hiking through, and we're visiting the people. And my friend George, my best friend, lives up there, and he, he's like – he was trying to show me something, and he's I'm like, what's this? He's like, this is the mustard tree. Now, I remember he picked up the seeds. They were so tiny. They fit in the crevice when, where your fingers come together and you get those little creases and lines. One of those little seeds just settled right in that crevice. It was so micro-tiny, I couldn't even believe it. And I was looking at this huge, huge, uh, powerful mustard tree, the faith of that tree from that little seed. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's because of your unbelief. Now, some of those devils are deeply rooted. I understand that. And begin to cause a spirit of unbelief. And it happens in the church too often when we have been coming to church year after year. And we long to see a powerful move from God. And, and we begin to wonder, will God ever revive us again? Or maybe you've said, you've, I haven't had enough of church. I can't stand churches anymore. I'm going to worship at home. And I'm going to have a home fellowship or something. And, and you begin to start to feel the same way. And you're wondering, is God going to revive me again? I remember what it was like in the early Early days of my walk, and now I'm starting to feel so dry, and I'm wondering, does God even care anymore? Or maybe we've gotten so satisfied in churches with a baptism here or there, or a profession of faith, or a so-called coming to the Lord, but it seems like the next day they're back out in the world 
or maybe that's you. See, this kind of thinking permeates in our churches, and, and it, honestly, folks, I don't mean to be hard on the people that only do worship at home. I, I understand that, but sometimes when you begin to worship at home, you begin to create your own religion, and I'll tell you, folks, sometimes it, I've seen some bad things happen with people that just isolate themselves and never, ever have fellowship with other people. I'm not saying it's impossible. Paul spent three years with the Lord alone, but when he came out of it, he went back into there. He was being trained directly. And so if God's got you in a time of training, then disregard what I just said. But if, you are, if you're just in those church, you, you've got to find some people to worship with. And if you can't find them, then you just got to pray that God would send them to you because we're designed to, to, to have each other's back and to pray for one another and not to carry this burden of, a, of this walk with Jesus alone. And those deep-rooted devils begin to get in there, and, and they won't come out but by prayer and fasting because it's that unbelief that's beginning to control our lives. And so we look at this prayer and fasting together, and we understand that, folks, fasting, it's, it, it's God's secret weapon that he's given his people. It's like, you know, I'm a good old boy from the country. I'll tell you, fasting is like grabbing a double-barrel shotgun and pulling both triggers at the same time. Contrary to our modern belief, fasting is not just an option. It is a weapon, and Jesus even said it in his own words, as I mentioned earlier, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. See, folks, the, the fires of revival begins with a broken people seeking God in prayer, humbling themselves, praying, fasting, emptying themselves so they can seek God in a deeper way. I've said this before, folks, a long while back, but fasting is not to make sure that your voice is heard on high. No, it's not to say, God, you must listen to me. Fasting, what you're saying is, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. I've tried it. I've failed. Lord, I need you. I'm going to empty myself, God, in that you would fill me and turn. And I'll tell you, folks, when you begin to fast and seek God and go on a long-term fast, um, a week or so, seven, eight days, actually. You don't want to break on on the seventh. But you will, you will feel something that you've never experienced before. I'm going to turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 20 because I just love this story because it illustrates Revival so perfectly. And, and, and folks, they have done studies. Uh, there's a paper out there on the internet. Uh, I can't remember the man's name. I'll have to look it up. Uh, but he did a research paper, and it was on the Solemn Assembly, I believe it was. And he documented all of the revivals throughout the Bible and found they all happened almost the same exact way. And so when we try all these you know, different things that, that don't really line up with the Word of God, and we wonder why God doesn't come, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, why don't we try God's way? Well, let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's start in verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea and on the side of Syria, and behold, they be in Hazor Tamar, 
excuse me, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and said himself to seek and said himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all their cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So here Jehoshaphat, he's in an impossible situation. Okay, he doesn't know what to do. This is not good. You know, he's got all these people coming against him, and he, he knows that he's in, a, he's in a hard place. And so he decides, you know what? We're in this bad situation. We need to seek God. I'm going to gather everybody together, and we're going to seek God's face about this. But it's interesting in chapter, in verse 4, what it says. He reminds God of the situation they're in and God's power to drive out the enemy. And we know that what, excuse me, we know not what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Let me read it again. And Judah gathered themselves together and to ask the, the help of the Lord, even out of all their cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So here they came to seek the Lord. They put all their trust in God. And it's interesting, if you pick it up in verse 13, listen to where it goes. And all Judah stood before the Lord with the, their little ones, their wives and their children, and upon Jehaziel and the sons of Zechariah, the sons of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of congregations, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid for your dismay by the reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they came up by the cliffs of Zis, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of, Jer of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed tomorrow. Go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And so here, Jehoshaphat, he seeks God. He pours out his heart. If you read the whole story between 4, 5, and, and 13, you'll re hear all of the things that Jehoshaphat cries out to God and acknowledges that he can't do it, but they're, they're going to keep their eyes upon him. And so he, he just pours everything, a whole congregation. They're gathered together in this solemn assembly. They're fasting. They're praying. They're seeking God. They're desperate. They cannot handle the situation. And then God delivers a word from the intelligence them, don't you fear. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Folks, God is with us. He wants us to have revival. He wants us to persevere, even when we feel like we're in the midst of the enemies. Now, folks, there is a common thing that's going around right now. We talked about it a few programs ago, and I heard just mentioning at the beginning of this program tonight, people are under spiritual attack right now. People are in darkness right now. Faithful believers who have been in the fight, they've been going at this for you, they are finding themselves that they are in a very dark place at this moment. One scholar I knew called it the dark night. But folks, we can survive the dark night. We can survive these dark times because God is with us and he's waiting for us to come to him, to humble ourselves and to cry out like they did in Jehoshaphat's day. Did God love Jehoshaphat more than he loves us? 
Was Jehoshaphat somehow more of a child of God than us? The answer is no. The answer is no. But if you look back in verse 3 again, in verse 4, I want to read it one more time. When Jehoshaphat was in that impossible situation, it says, verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared he was in a place where he couldn't handle it, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat called together a solemn assembly. See, folks, if you want the fires of revival in your church, if you want them in your congregation, if you want them in your home fellowship, if you want them in your life, it's time to call the solemn assembly again. It's time to gather together the believers. I mean, what else do we need to happen before we'll take this step? Do you want everything to fall apart to where you just can't make it anymore? Do you want to wait till your life is completely ruined? Do you want to wait till our churches have completely fallen into apostasy? What will it take? If the missiles are flying towards the U.S., will we then repent? If the economy collapses, will that be a good time to start? Folks, we're already worse than what we think we are in this nation and in our churches. It's time to call the solemn assembly. Jehoshaphat was in a situation he could not handle, and he did what he knew he should do, and that seek God with all of his heart. And when he sought God with all of his heart, the fires of revival came, and Israel was revived, and they went out and defeated and were prosperous in the war. Jehoshaphat was in over his head. Folks, we are in over our head. Do you understand what the Bible says about these last days coming? That it's so bad that men's hearts will fail them for fear of just what's coming upon the earth. Not even what's already here, but about what's coming. And if we think that we can somehow walk in our own flesh, and we can somehow just do this in our own spirit, that we've got the, you know, I've got enough knowledge that I can walk through this, or I've laid up enough supplies that I can survive anything, and I've got a, a you know, a bunker, you know, 20 feet underground, and no matter what, you, you know, folks, that won't, that might do you a good for a moment, but it won't sustain you. It only took three days out of Egypt. When they left with everything that the Egyptians had, they spoiled the Egyptians, that they were crying to go back. And God was leading them personally. Do we think we can stand it on our own? It's time to allow the fires of revival to come. Today is no different. It is the same situation as Jehoshaphat. But instead of being the Ammonites, it's the pedophiles. It's the it's the homosexual movement. It's the it's the the you know the adulterous generation, sex craved uh, society that we live in that's infiltrating our schools, and they're trying to tell our children that they somehow came from a rock and a monkey, and that they have no value because they don't have a creator, because they're of no there's nothing worth really living for, because when you die, you're just done forever. And our children are confused, and they're falling away from the faith, and, and our family members are going to hell. And at what moment will we wake up and say, that's enough? I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. 
I'm going to do like Jehoshaphat, and I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm going to call a solemn assembly, and whoever wants to come can come because it's time to see God's face. The fires of revival will come when people are serious about seeking their God. We quote Second Chronicles so often, seven fourteen. If you have that, well, humble thyself and seek thy face. You know what I mean, and and turn from thy wicked ways. We 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 say that verse, but we don't mean it. Because if we humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and seeking God's face, truly God would be able to use us in these last days. Instead of us feeling that we're defeated and we can do nothing, God designed us to be warriors for his faith and not cowering uh, sissies that can't do anything because we're so afraid because we're living in sin and we feel like we can't get out. And God's saying, right, look here in his word. Jehoshaphat couldn't overcome this of his own, but when he sought God with everything, the Lord delivered Today, I understand we live in an age when people can live and do whatever they want, and they just call it natural. You're born that way. Sin is no longer being called sin. Jehoshaphat never even had to deal with the internet or pornography addictions or social media addiction or violent video games with his children. The devil has an absolute stronghold on society, and God needs a people who can fight. Prayer and fasting is a secret weapon that your Father in Heaven has given you to empty yourself and allow God to step in and to fill you with His Spirit. It's a tool to rekindle the fires of revival. Not only will your life be changed, but the lives around you will be changed also. Folks, I'm passionate about what I'm telling you. Because I know what God can do. And I want you to experience this. Of what God can do to somebody when they will humble themselves. You know, I remember this story. My, my wife, you know, she had, we, I just was converted, you know, it was 18 years ago. And I came in and, you know, I went from this radical drug addict, uh, everything wrong husband, the worst husband on the planet to the next day of radically saved. And I'm telling my wife all these things. I'm kind of freaking her out a little bit. And I remember she called her dad. And at the time, you know, her dad didn't agree with, you know, things I was saying or and all that stuff necessarily. And I remember I was thinking, oh, my Lance, my wife is going to call her dad and he's going to disagree with me. And then our, everything, she's going to believe him instead of me. Well, I went in that back room that night. My wife got on the phone. She called her dad. And I got on my knees. And I sought God with all my heart. And I poured myself out like a drink offering before God. With every ounce of me, I prayed with everything in my spirit before the Lord. With an intensity that I can't even explain. And after about my wife being on the phone for about 45 minutes to an hour, when it looked like everything would probably be over because her dad would say I was wrong, you know, and or whatever it might be, my wife hangs, hangs up the phone. And I went out of the room, and she said, well, he pretty much agreed with everything you said of God. I encourage you, folks. I challenge you to begin to walk new with the Lord, to embrace 
prayer and fasting. Folks, if you go back into our archives, I have a program on prayer and fasting, and I address actually how to fast. And I'll tell you, there's some amazing research done on fasting that's powerful. I, I go over some of this in my program on, on actually how to fast. It's something people don't talk about a lot. They talk about, you know, we need to fast, but I don't always know how to fast. Check it out. It's on prayer and fasting. You can find it in the archives. And in, in that program, I will, I will show you about how to actually fast. And fast in a way that that that's that can really not only will spiritually, but it'll actually help your body to heal itself and, and, and to get into better health overall. And it's just a, a wonderful thing if you look at the research that's been done on that. But I encourage you today to decide that today is the day that you're going to be making a change. The Remnant Call is a program that's designed to not sit here and only tickle your ears, make you feel good, or have some, you know, I'm, you know, some new research that somebody has or some new word from some insider from somewhere that gave you a, an unknown source that said this is going to happen tomorrow. I don't have an inside word like that. But what I do have is the Word of God and an experience to understand what it's like to experience His power. And I want to share that with you. And prayer and fasting is one of the keys in order to humble ourselves that God can fill us. You know, the prophet Joel, he saw the day that we are living in, in his day. And it's interesting, if you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, they wrote about things that were happening in their day, but they also wrote about what was happening in the future. And Joel sees our day way down, you know, 25, 700 years later, I think it was, something around there. And so Joel, this is what he says. Joel chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Now you might be thinking maybe that was for for Joel's day. But listen this. Joel lets us know this is for our day. Next verse. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. So Joel says, listen, what I'm about to tell you right now, this is for when the day of the Lord comes. And we know the day of the Lord, that's the end. This is the end time. This was written specifically for us, and he says when you see that moment coming, you need to call a solemn assembly, sanctify a fast, gather the elders and the inhabitants together. It is time to come and cry out before the Lord. It's time to get serious with God. Joel was giving us direct instructions on what we are supposed to do in these last days right before the Lord comes because he says this is the day that everybody's been looking forward to, that the prophets have been speaking about. It is the day of the Lord, and it's time to get serious with God. And folks, we need to do that. And Joel continues on in verse 12, and listen to what he says. This is interesting because it really brings into focus where we're at here. It says this, verse chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garment and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and great in kindness and repenteth him from the evil. And so he's saying, listen, folks, stop your outward signs. 
Stop your rending your garments. Stop wearing your Jesus t-shirts and your, and your cross earrings and trying to act, look like a Christian. Why don't you rend your heart and show me from the inside? Humble yourselves. It's time to get real with God. For who knoweth, in verse 14, for who knoweth if he'll return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord. And he says, verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion. And folks, that's what I'm doing. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his people and have pity on his land. So, folks, God, Joel's saying, listen, get together, weep and wail between the altars and board. Folks, if you just get together and start seeking God and crying out and, and, and say, you know what, Lord, we're not leaving until you show up. Because we need you. Do you understand what God could do? The fires of revival would burn hot. That's what happened in the revival in the Isle of Lewis. They couldn't stand it that the young people have gone away from the church. They couldn't stand it. And two old ladies got on their knees in their 80s and said, enough is enough. And God put a revival so powerful, they say that they were in the ditches, repenting along the side of the road, in front of the police station. They couldn't, everywhere, the whole island was full of repentance because God was moving in a powerful way. When the fires of revival break out, communities are changed around God's people. What is it going to take for you to make a change in your life? What is it going to take for you to finally get serious with God? A friend of mine in 2011 decided he wanted to go on a mission trip to India with some other people. See, they were in a place that they realized that the gospel, there was an opportunity. to. And so what the pastors were in that area were doing, they were taking their mats and they were laying them down outside of the villages. And they were sleeping on their mats until someone would invite them in because these villages just knew nothing about the gospel of Jesus. And so the pastors would stay there and sleep night after night until someone would invite them in and they would make their way to the chief because they knew if they could get to the head of the village there in India, that if they could win the chief, the head of the village, they could win the whole village. And so the pastors would get in, and they would begin to share the good news. And before they knew it, the gospel started to flow like fire. And my friend that went over there, he went and he preached through a series of meetings over there. And after they was done, they witnessed over 3,000 people get baptized. Hallelujah. He actually got to see Pentecost happen again in India. I just was listening to a report the other day where they said that the fire, the revival is happening in Afghanistan. Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God's bringing them even without pastors through dreams and visions. But it's happening all over the world. And here in America, we're sitting here like, does God even care? Will you humble yourselves tonight to seek his face? I don't know what it's been in your life that's holding you back. But God's got a way out. 
He promised he would never give you more than you can handle. What I'm wondering, are you putting on yourself more than what God's giving you? Are you putting an undue burden upon your life that God never placed there? And you're saying, Lord, why am I here? Why do I deserve this? And I'm wondering if God even did this to begin with. Maybe you put yourself there. But it really doesn't matter. Because whenever you are, wherever you are, no matter whether it's God allowing you to go through something or maybe something you brought upon yourself, it really doesn't matter. The simple fact is this. That if you will seek God with all of your heart, and you will turn to him with everything you have, and you will cry out before God in your humility and in your tears and with weeping and with fasting and prayer, God says he will hear. And Ezekiel, the angel, was instructed to go through the city with the inkhorn and mark those who would sigh and cry over the abominations that were being committed in Jerusalem. And he said, everything else, destroy it. See, God's looking for a broken people because our Father has a broken heart. Our Savior weeps when he sees things happen. And he's looking for someone who shares that kind of burden for the lost that he does. And when he sees them, he tells the angel, you know what? Mark them. Mark them. Because there's a people after my own heart. As we begin to close this program out, folks, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you feel so down like you just can't have revival because maybe you've sinned too much. Oh, I've learned one thing's for sure. God's got way more grace than you have sin. Maybe you think that you've made, broken one too many promises. Maybe you feel like God, God doesn't hear you anymore. Folks, I'm trying to tell you he does. That's a lie from the enemy. But are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to fast and pray and to seek him with all your heart? Program, I've left you with the tools to have revival. Not only revival personally, but actually corporate revival in your churches. I don't know what denomination you go to. I don't know where kind of church you go to. But I can tell you right now, if a group of believers will embrace what I shared with you tonight, and they will seek God, call a solemn assembly, weep and wail between the porch and the altar. As my friend would say, you get together, you fast and you pray, and you don't leave until God shows up. I'm telling you, God will make a change in your lives and in your churches and in the communities around it. I know this is a time of great apostasy when the world seems to be falling away and people don't care anymore and there's so much confusion that people don't even understand and we're just supposed to love any, everybody and not speak the truth anymore and we know as believers that that stuff is a lie. But the fact is, is that even when it's dark, God has grace will abound even more and it's in those darkest hours that God is going to bring a harvest in, in his church if, but he's got to have some people who are willing to work for him. And folks, he needs soldiers in these last days. Not the soldiers who've got enough military uh, armament buried so they can fight a war. He's talking about the soldiers who can fight it on their knees. 
Now, folks, I was a Marine, and I understand about the art of war. And I have, you know, weapons and all that stuff. But I'm not here to fight the government. I'd say when they come for me, I'm out of here. We're running for the hills. I'm not here to make war with them. I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm here to do that. I'm here to follow and to seek and to go wherever he wants me to go. Because my life is not doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. I don't want to go down because I'm trying to fight the government. I want to go down because I stood up for the name of Jesus Christ. And I was unwilling to compromise. And I was willing to stand for something. Truth in God's word. Will you stand with me? Folks, it's real simple. You know what to do. Will you do it? You know, if you want to get a hold of me, if you want me to pray for you, to email me, remnantcall at outlook.com. I'll pray for you. I'll respond back to you. I'm nobody special, but I am a person who has touched the grace of God because I was one of the chiefest of his sinners. And I would be honored to pray with you. And I ask that you pray with me. Pray for each other. You know, my wife and I, when we're, we work a lot with the homeless and, and the drug addicts and the alcoholics because I was there. I was a drug addict and all that stuff years ago. And for me, my heart is with the drug addicts and the alcoholics. I love them because so many people look down on them, but I don't look down on them because I believe God loves them and wants to save them. But when I'm talking to them, I always tell them, I say, look, listen, you guys got to stop fighting amongst yourself. You need to have each other's back because you're the only family you all have. Folks, we are family. When we are in Jesus, it doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter. When you are in Jesus, we are children of the Most High God. We're family. And family needs to stick together. The fires of revival can burn hot in the lives of believers. And they are already burning hot all around the world. There's so many stories out there could go on and on for hours. And folks, I've seen what God can do with my own eyes. I've seen miracles because I've seen what happens to people that are, have nothing and they seek God and he works miracles. And when I go over to Africa, every time I come back, I go through this emotional crisis of coming home. Like, what am I doing? I want to go back onto the front lines over there because they're so red hot and on fire for God. And I want to be in the midst of it because when I'm over there and I'm hiking and I'm in places where I don't have the strength to do it and everything, God sustains me because it's not me anymore. It's him who's working through me and he can do the same for you. We got to get in this battle and quit being defeated and make a change in our lives. And I'm going to pray that God will do something in your lives. The fires of revival will burn hot again if we'll let them. Because one way or another, God will get this work done. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Father, the name that makes the demons tremble. The name that has changed a world. The name that is above all names, Father, I pray in that name. That you would touch the people listening to this program. 
Father, that you would remind them that no matter where they've been, that they can come back. They can have revival. They can find their first love again if they will just seek you with all their hearts, in their filthiness, in their dirt. If they will come to you, God, you will hear them. They will humble themselves. You'll revive them. Father, forgive me of all my sins and failures where I have done wrong, Lord, and I have offended you or given the enemy a reason that he could reproach or scoff against the Most High because of my own actions, Lord, please forgive me of that. And for that believer out there, Lord, that thinks they've gone too far, God, send your spirit to remind them that they, they still, are, oh, they can come back now. They've got to believe and quit believing the lies of the enemy. This is the moment that if they'll turn back to God, he can change their lives. Pray for our children, Lord. Be with our children. Keep them safe, God. Help, help us, Lord, to, to remember our children daily in prayer. Forgive me, Lord, when I've forgotten to pray for the children more. Because they're precious. And it's our duty as parents to deliver the gospel to our children. And for those parents who messed up and didn't do it right, that's okay. Lord, let them know they can get right today and from this day forward make a change. Stop beating themselves up and start seeking God's face. Father, I pray these things tonight because your people need it. Lord, I need it. We all need it, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, if you need to get a hold of me, send me a message on Facebook, the Remnant Call page. Send me an email, remnantcalloutlook.com. I'll do my best to respond as quickly as I can. Sometimes it could take a little bit, but I care. I truly do. So this is Brother Frank with the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom.